100 years after his murder, Rasputin continues to excite the popular imagination as the personification of evil. Numerous biographies, novels, and films recount his mysterious rise to power as Nicholas is an Alexandria's confidant and as the guardian of the sickly heir to the Russian throne. His debauchery and sinister political influences are the whispers of legend. And the downfall of the Romanov dynasty was his curse upon his assassination. Dubbed the Mad Monk, was he a holy man or a twisted wizard? We will break it down in this episode of the Oogie Boogie Podcast. Come. It is time to keep your appointment. That's not real. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? It could be. Come and play with us. Nah, that's not real. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. God, I hope that didn't really happen. <laughs> Welcome into the Fun Kids Comedy Show and the home of the Oogie Boogie Podcast. I'm your host, Benji Wright, with help of my son, Joshua Wright. This show is originally in vodcast form. We do it live on Twitch with a live chat room and friends in Discord. But what we do is we take all that and we edit that out to make it a little bit easier for listening form inside of the podcast form because the podcast show usually goes about two hours and that's a whole lot be thrown into a podcast. We like to cut that down, stay just with the meat of the story, keep it down to about an hour on the podcast listening side. If you're ever curious, though, of watching us do this show live, you can find us on Twitch at the FKC Show. And oh, I gotta tell you, we have got a heavy one today. I've put in a lot of time into this, and now I'm excited to jump in to the story of Rasputin. The true story of Rasputin's life and death has remained shrouded in myth. A simple Google search of Rasputin brings up 8,770,000 results. So separating from fact and fiction to reveal the real life of one of history's most alluring figures has been tedious. I've been pining through a wealth of forgotten documents and archives, numerous web pages, podcasts, and articles to put together Rasputin's complexity. Was he a man of God, a voice of peace, a loyal subject, or was he an adulterer and a drunkard? Rasputin is not just a definitive biography of an extraordinary and legendary man, but a fascinating portrait of the twilight of Imperial Russia as it launched towards catastrophe. He was born to a Serbian peasant family around 1869. I believe it's pronounced uh, Gregory Yefimovic. Yefimovic. Yefimovic is his father's name. Ovic is his family's right. Yef. So Yefim is dad's name. Yeah. And and Ovic is like his family's right. That means they're peasants. Yeah. Right. And so then. Uh, Gregory is his is his name, and so if he was to like have a child, then his child would probably be Yefim Gregory Ovovich, meaning that he's from the family of Yefim, which is probably the town that he's in, and then that his father was Gregory, and that he is a peasant. Holy and then shit. his name would be probably Dimitri. What the fuck just happened here? <laughs> Uh, that was amazing. In all this research, I never pulled up any of that bullshittery. No, that's 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 lingui- lingu- linguistics. Linguistics. Yeah, yeah. I uh, learned that from um, Dolvieski's The uh, Three Brothers Kamarov. Oh, okay. Well, nice. Yeah. 
So Rasputin received little schooling, probably never learned to read or write. In mm-hmm. his early years, some people of his village said that he possessed supernatural powers. So while others cited examples of extreme cruelty. So for a time, it was believed his name Rasputin meant facetious. In, in Russian. Right. In, meaning, you know. Right, which means it's 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 an un, uh, um, unprincipled in sexual matters. He was a fucking horn dog. Yeah. Um, they they later historians and linguistics now believe that Rasputin actually meant uh, where two rivers met, which is a phrase to a phrase that would describe an area where he was born in Siberia. Even as a young man, he astonished people. There was talk about him having visions and the ability to heal. According to one legend, one day Rasputin was lying in a bed sick when a group of peasants walked in to find out who had stolen the horse. Gregory rose from his bed and pointed to the thief among them, insulted, the peasant denied it, and then beat the holy shit out of Gregory for accusing him of that. Well, that night, two weary peasants followed the suspect and saw him leading the horse out of a shed into the forest. Mm, the guy was a criminal. Right? So out of that, Rasputin gained a rep- reputation as a visionary. Although some, you know, you, you got to imagine that there, you know, there was a lot of people that was like, that's fucking creepy. So yeah, so there's there's people that are naturally scared of the boy and his, his supernatural abilities, oh. the visions. Uh, they, they, they believe that he is possessed by the devil. Uh, it was a time and a place where you know, possible magic and healing powers were a way of life. Uh, Gregory himself thought that he was taken over by a higher force. Uh, in the same light, um, you know, he also grew up to be a drunkard, a fighter, and an abuser of women. You would think that if, if he had a divine force in him, uh, there wouldn't be... Because we, we don't hear those stories of Jesus Christ walking around smacking hoes and blessing babies. You know, so it, it's 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 amazing that uh, I I do believe that he had some kind of power, if if not a hypnotic kind of thing, not you so also, much a you supernatural. Have, you have to think about the areas. Uh, the areas around the Black Sea are where like black magic and the ways of life that we think of come from. But this is the same time, too. You look at here in the United States. I mean, it was globally where, where we had mediums and uh, there was mysticism and uh, Harry Houdini. Fortune tellers. And yeah, Fortune yeah. tellers. And, and, and even though, like, you know, it, it was a, a highly religious culture and the Bible said, hey, don't get into this kind of bullshittery, they still got into that kind of bullshittery. Now, the, the start of his mysticism goes back to the death of his brother. So Gregory and his 12-year-old brother, Dimitri, Dimitri. nailed it, (laughs) were swimming in a local river, and um, Dimitri gets pulled into the current. Gregory and others, they try to save Dimitri, but it takes way too long to pull him out uh, from the cold Siberian water. Hypothermia set in, and soon the, the boy dies of pneumonia. So Gregory is devastated, and he goes into a period of deep depression that lasts about two years. Around 1879, he begins to get a reputation for possessing these strange powers. Vig- uh, villagers begin to believe that uh, he can ten. read their... Yeah, he yeah. is 10 years old. Yeah, and, and, and they think that, that he can read their minds, that he can peer right into their souls. So around 1879... 
that is when that starts happening. Uh, he's he's curing uh, sick farm animals just by touching them. Uh, at this point of his life, though, religion it has no role. His 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 mom really pressed the religious aspect on him. But uh, Rasputin uh, enters the Verkhoucher Monastery in Russia with the intention of becoming a monk. Which is an honorable pres- uh, profession at the time. It's it's like uh, becoming a, a a worksman. Like if you were if you were to like go to a carpenter and be like, I'm going to be your apprentice now. That would what that's essentially what he did. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but soon, <clears throat> soon after he left and um, got married. So in 1886, Rasputin met 20-year-old Paskova Dubrovina Prakovina. Is, is this girl that he met. They were married five months later on uh, February 2nd, 1887. Well, just three weeks it. after his 18th birthday. So uh, her, her physical description, she was plump, with dark eyes, small features, thick blonde hair. Pretty much nails all Russians. <laughs> that blonde bitch, man. That blonde bitch. He was, in, he was into Russian pogs that kind of resembled him. <laughs> no, dude. Uh, though short, she was strong, uh, an important asset in a wife, expecting to bear children while tackling the, the harvest. The first child was born the following year, but died after six months of scarlet fever. Then they had twins. Both of them died of whooping cough. Another child also died. But three children thereafter, they survived to childhood. We had Dimitri, Maria, and Varia. So, hold on. This is 1895. He is 26 years old when his... He gets married at at, uh, 18 to a woman two years older than him. Then he has five children who... Four children who die. No, five children. Four children who die. Four children who die. And then then three who live. First one at 26. The next one at um, 20... Nine, and then the next one when he's uh, 31. And then, like, this whole time, right, this whole time that that's happening, he's off doing other stuff. Oh, yeah. He's off uh, on this, like... So it, basically he comes home, he hits that, she gets pregnant, and then he goes on this holy quest. Quest. Uh, um, they dubbed him a holy wanderer. Yeah. Uh, trying to find the truth of religion, visiting holy sites. I imagine that he did have questions. Uh, but this is also seen as a sustainable thing. You know, a lot of people would, like, give them money and give those people money and give them food. So he's like, like a missionary. Yeah, they would help them on their journey. Oh, I imagine. If you got a monk coming yeah. through, who, who, but I mean, you know, like, who would not trust know, a monk? I mean, think of everybody in your town is poor. Everybody is helping each other out. You know, Proskova is going to be fine. So a visit... To a monastery in, oh, I'm gonna fuck this word up. Vir, uh, Virhortura? Fucking nailed it again! Scorecards, please! I think that's a solid gold medal that I just nailed. Anyhow, this monastery, it changed him. It was his first encounter with a ritual form of religion. He ended up staying there for months, Rasputin then left his home to become a Strinic. Astronomic, a pilgrim or a wanderer. His journey took him as far as Greece and Jerusalem. Imagine walking, walking 
3,000 miles to Jerusalem. Holy shit. He did that. He sometimes walked for days without eating or stopping. He didn't wash or even touch his body for months and wore shackles to increase the hardship of his journey. So imagine not taking full strides either. Like, you can imagine running to Jerusalem. You know, you can imagine taking long strides, right? Right, but taking tiny steps. Right, because if if you you know you're like you're just trying to get to Jerusalem and you come into the town and you ask, hey, how far is Jerusalem? And they're like nine months. Yeah. You know, you're going to start doing the math, the counting your steps, and trying to get in. I don't know. You know, let's try to let's shoot for thirty miles in a day. Let's yeah, let's get that nine months down to six. Right, you know? right, right. But when you got shackles on. He's enduring this. He's enduring this to get closer to God, to experience the pain of, and the traveling of the body. One of one of the people that he ran into, a group. This is, I think, this is what it, it changes him. So he he encounters a secret sect called the Halist. The Halist. Okay. So more among the lines of an occult than a religion. So in their rituals, there were no priests. In the first part of their service, they sang and prayed and became um, uh, kind of introduced into this drunken state uh, by spinning. Once in a euphoria-like state, the whole congregation would partake in realistic orgies. Right. This type of worship, they thought, would bring them closer to God. Drinking, uh, driving out sin with sin was the concept that Rasputin later adopted from this cult. So their whole idea was that, uh, where as most religion... You try to suppress sinful nature, and that shows strength. This religion believed that there's no way you could beat sinful nature because we were born into sin. So by embracing that sin, it makes the forgiveness that much more valuable and places you closer to God. Well, the whole concept of, of that, you know, that we're going to not indulge in the sins that Jesus saved us from, is is that it makes Jesus's great sacrifice um, more worth it because we recognize that we shouldn't partake in sins. We've learned we're different. We're not those right. animals. We're not going to act like that. It hasn't gone so well for those types of people. You um, know what? I think through mankind, through all of history, like like we have now, like we have the, the internet. You can look yeah. at anything, and debauchery <clears throat> is crazy. I think it's just more open. Yeah, it's just fine. I think it's, it's just, always been there. Things are things are just bigger. Right, um, right. It, 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 it's more commonplace now. Like we were saying in the last podcast, we ain't got time for this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So, two years later, so he's like, let's go with 35. Right? Yeah. He returns to uh, Provis, Provisco, and then uh, as, a, as a lamentably religious essence, and was even called a uh, Satyat. A wandering holy man by others. So, like, we're we're taking a moment away from Rasputin, right? He's he's like thirty five, right? This is um like nineteen oh one at this time, mm-hmm. right? And he's kind of returning to his domestic life. And so now we're talking more about so what was Russia like in those like right? Let's years? let's set up. Uh, how his introduction to the Romanov family and the culture of where Russia was, how this, how it was the perfect firestorm for things to change. So um, we'll start off with with the ruling class and how uh, Rasputin's introduction to the Holy Family was really the worst possible time in, in 
uh, Russian history. This is one of the, the darkest periods in Russian history, and for the people of Russia itself, and since most of the people of Russia were peasants, it was peasants and serfs that were really suffering in Russia's feudal society, and it was this suffering that was the determining doom of the Tsars and the nobility of Russia, which is open, which opened the path for communism. Right. I, that puts a great perspective on not even just Russia, but also other countries that adopted that same prospect of communism. All right, so with, with Russia and a lot of the monarchies, all the land belonged to the king. And then the king would then hand out responsibilities to the nobles. And then the nobles would dictate to the peasants, all right, this is what we're going to grow here, this is what we're going to hunt here. But, but still, it all belonged to the king. And so uh, as they were trying to change out of that system of, of, out of landlords, the peasant system, um, in, in comparison with the European feudal system, it, it took much longer. Um, it, 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 it was way more uh, harsh, um, adverse. Um, it was acerbic in its form. Uh, there was a lot of mistakes through the whole, whole thing. Mm -hmm. So peasants and serfs were given no rights, and they were not even allowed to appeal against the non-justices against them. They were traded like animals. They possessed no ownership, not even over their own family. Everything that they possessed belonged to their lord. So serfdom, quite simply, is another word for enslavement. The lords possessed them like property or animals. They, they could beat a serf to death, uh, and the serf wasn't even allowed to protect himself against the lord. And this was the cruelest and harshest uh, outcome of the feudal system in Russia. Now, peasants were different from serfs. They were free men um, who had taken land from the, the, the nobles, but they were restricted to provide some endowment for that land. Think of, think of sharecropping. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the king provided nobles his land to govern in exchange for their service, military, personal or advisory talents. Unlike Europe's feudal hierarchy, nobles in Russian feudal hierarchy were allowed to leave the service of the king, whereas uh, in the other ones it wasn't. Yeah. Right, so Russia had grown steadily <laughs> over centuries to become one of the world's largest nations in human history. Eastern Siberia alone makes up roughly 10% of the Earth's land surface with 51 million square Miles, uh, just the complexity of governing and defending such a massive territory is mind-boggling. The uh, this is where the uh, the Cossacks come into picture. I love that family, John Cossack. Oh God! <laughs> oh, and his, his you sister took me for a turn. Who's in Shameless. This is like oh, when people are like, oh man, isn't that who we're talking about? Oh, I didn't know there was. I didn't know that they had been around that long. All right, so go on with the Cossacks. Explain. I think this is fascinating about the Cossacks and, and, and how Hungary played into uh, Russia's... Um, the, the, the buffer state system. Right. The Cossacks were of where modern-day Ukraine is now. Right. And they were, they were horsemen, and they were very military-minded, very structured... Uh, uh, and basically, they basically got converted into like a knight class by the Russians. Exactly, and that and their whole thing was to guard uh, southern western Russia right. from Germany and Poland, and also the the more uh, southern states like um, 
Like the Ottoman Empire. Because that's how... Uh, uh, because the Turks, right. Right, they, right. They had constant wars with the Turks. Because that's where um, Rasputin would be going. He'd be going through Ukraine, down into Greece, and into uh, uh, Istanbul. Right. And then he went back. Um, right. But the, the Cossacks would become very important in the, in the later wars. So you have to understand, this is the 18th to the 20th century, right? 1700s to the 1900s. There is 200 years, right? There's the Great Northern War, the Seven Year War, the Crimea War, the Napoleonic Wars, the Cus the Cuscan Wars, the Russo-Persian Wars, the numerous, numerous Russian-Turkish Wars, and then the First World War starts, right? And the whole that's a shitload of warring. Yeah. And so the Cossacks are, 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 are a major part of this. So here, mm -hmm. here's, here's Serbia on, on the other side of the coin in this equation. Not Serbia, Siberia. Right, fucking... They developed into Siberia. Siberia got, is on the east above, above uh, Mongolia. Right. And they, they started developing that way as, as an agricultural province. The government also used it as a place of exile, sending um, Abakum, Dovgieski, and the Decemberists, among others, to work camps in the region. This is give also me big high five for not standing in that motherfucker. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's uh, also where they developed gulags during the Second World War. Right, that's where you were sent. So the Trans-Siberian Railroad gave a great boost to uh, Siberian agriculture, allowing for uh, increased exports to Central Russia. And other European countries, it, it, it really united the nation. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, it, it pushed not only the territories closest to the railway, but also connected the uh, mineral rivers, which is that's where all of these colonies are built, all well, of these cities. Exactly, because a lot of it was as as they were harvesting uh, uh, the wood, right, and and the the copper and the other minerals out of Siberia. It was all transported down riverboats. Yeah. A lot of what uh, Siberia was getting known for, too, was uh, its Rain. agriculture. Exactly. It com completely changed the landscape. The agriculture in central Russia was still uh, under pressure of serfdom, uh, which was you know, you know, officially and formally abandoned, abandoned in uh, 1861. So where you had a lot of, of um, cattle and butter production going on, um, it, it just became more profitable to start growing uh, grains and flowers. Mills started popping up all over the place. From 1896 to 1913, Serbia was averaging an export of 500,000 tons of cereal products annually. And two, like we're going back to serfdom, these guys um, weren't making any money off the land no, they as weren't. they were yeah, before. No. You weren't even able to gain profit. You weren't even able to change any of that serfdom, and you were stuck in that order. And then, so this is... It's this, not even sharecropping at this time. It's not even sharecropping. It is zero profit. You were right. only... Yeah. This was a place with uh, landless laborers and sharecropping, right, in 1868. Um the nobility was too weak to oppose the uh, uh, emancipation of the serfs, so in 1861, Alexander II freed all the serfs in a major Aragarian reform. Um, not because he sympathized with the Turk, but because he rationalized it is better to liberate the peasants from above. And so Alexander II realized, okay, my population is, is, re is not happy. 
I'm going to give them more freedom. It's better that I, I liberate them right. than them revolt. I can give them this, and they can not right. have. They don't have to take this. Right. Um, so now they are no longer serf. They're just peasants. They get to have their family. They get to build their homes. They get to be respected in a kind of community, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the peasants still have to work, and instead of paying the poor class labor, uh, class labor to work the, the lands, the nobles began became landlords, and they sold off this land at really, really expensive prices, like 35% above market price. Right. You know? Um, and it wasn't even the choice land, because it, it, it wasn't like, all right, well, this piece of property is going to put out the highest yield. Right. So uh, I'm going to sell it to this guy because he really knows what he's doing. No, he was like, no, I'm going to keep this piece of property, and I'm going to sell you the shitty piece of property right. that nothing grows on. You don't get to choose your property. You just no. get you just get to say, please, Lord, I would like land. And they get to say, you get this one. And at 35% over market value, the, the loans were so steep that whereas, at least with sharecropping, uh, that you would give them a percentage of what the harvest was and you kept the rest. Now with this, you had to sell everything just to make an unmanageable mortgage. So, and this is where we're starting to see the rise of Russian peasant socialism movements. They're they're popping up all over the place. There's the the, the first seeds of communism are starting to be spread throughout Russia um, in response to this this uh, oppression of the poor by the imperialistic monarchy and nobility. In 1881, Tsar Alexander II is killed in the streets of St. Petersburg by a bomb thrown by a member of the revolutionary People's Will Group. Ironically, that same day that, that uh, he was killed, Alexander II just signed a proclamation that would have created two legislative commissions made up of elected officials that would have limited his own power as a monarchy and giving more power to the people and more freedom to the people. And what happened? Yeah. He gets assassinated. So Alexander III, now he is in power. He is highly conservative. He reversed most of the liberal reforms that his father had put into place. Uh, during Alexander's reign, Russia fought no major wars. And so this is, this is what Rasputin is born into, right? He's born into a very peaceful, kind of, he, a, a semi-peaceful, uh, semi-unstable, rebellious, re religious country that he is now seen as a, a holy man in, right? Right. With it's a peaceful time, but it is an extremely impoverished and unsettled. Unset yeah. With a conservative czar, right? Yeah. Who is complete, who is doing completely, un who is unstabling the whole system, right? And then, but he thinks he's, that he is stabilizing it because he th he believes that if you tighten up the leash, you will settle down the masses. Rule by fear never works. Right. So works. Alexander the Third he reigned uh, from 1881 until his death in 1894. Um, uh, and so at this time now, the throne passes to his 25 year old spoiled brat of a son, Nicholas the Second. Yes. So Nicholas wasn't even ready to take over the power of the great unstable empire. He had spent his whole life being the kid of a czar, traveling, drinking, and fucking off. Unlike most of us, when dad died, we just sell his stuff. God knows I'm selling his stuff. Um, all of this, all of this whole studio, when I die, you will be able to find on eBay. <laughs> um, 
Because Josh will be like, fuck this. He sets it all up. I just come in and read the podcast. Alec- Alexander already failed to prepare his son for the role of Tsar, right? right. He, he, he believed was, that he was a mama's boy. He, he did, yeah. He was also in denial of his death, Alexander the Third. Nobody knew of Alexander the Third's health condition, right? So he had this mama boy son that he wasn't training. He was denying his own death. Yeah, Alexander was in denial of his own health. Oh, right. his own health, right. Yeah, he was right. dying, Yeah, and he didn't want to admit it. And um, this put him in a great circumstantial condition of that nobody who was reasonable could be in power, right? And so you have this boy prince with this unstable empire with this kind of religious, secular community, right? And no experience. And no experience. So he is appointed to lead all of Russia, uh, now, up to this point, you know, Russia had uh, kicked major military ass. Defeating the Turks. Uh, the, the Ottoman Turks. The Persian uh, War. Right. Poland. Crimea. And so, as bad as it was in, in Russia itself, the Russian people, people took a lot of pride yeah, in yeah. That, that, that. That, you know, you know we're, we're here to fucking kick ass and chew bubblegum. Guess what, people? Bubblegum hasn't been invented yet, so there's going to be some shit. And, uh... <laughs> But when Nicholas took over, he uh, one of his first major incidents in the military was that he lost to Japan in a, a military fight, and most of the navy was destroyed. Um, which yeah, the of, Battle of Tsushima, the Battle of Tsushima, right? The clash between Russia which and Japan. The bulk of the entire navy. Yeah, I mean it's inevitable. I mean this is this is their route to transport to the ocean to all these other things. This is how they're getting because they were because that was the whole thing is like like Siberia was still part of the Asian provinces right. and so as they were expanded into that their expansion kind of also conflicted Japan with Japan's expansion yeah and so there was there was a lot of territorial wars that were that were happening for this the whole reason for that was for Russia to have a warm water salt port uh-huh. to where they could get to the Pacific Ocean. If they would have their way, they would have South Korea. Which they are still in combat to to this day, day because China and Russia share a border with North Korea. Right. So now we're heading back into St. Petersburg. Um, Nicholas is uh, appointed czar, um, and, uh, and and he's had a lady in mind that he has been courting. Uh, right, for a while. Right, right. Um, and and it, he didn't win any favors with uh, the fellow Russians that, you know, it wasn't a Russian in, in itself. That his wife, Alexandria Fredovanova, Fredovanova, Okay. Alexandra. Right? Uh, she was a German national, which uh, um, they, weren't, they weren't... They weren't happy about. The countries were not at peace with each other. No, not at all. So, you know, and, and the Russians were thinking, you know, how do you choose a German over national interest, especially one that doesn't even care for the Ru- Russian culture? Uh, yeah. So, you know... You know they, they get pissy. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas was, 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 was dooming his reign from the beginning. The day that Nicholas was crowned, right, part of the uh, coronation day cer- uh, celebration, 1,300 people died in a coronation ceremony waiting for mugs and sweet meat coronation gifts 
that were going to be given out to uh, to the local public. But because of poor planning, uh, a, a stampede uh, ensued, which which you know crushed these people to death. Thirteen hundred people were crushed to death. How many fucking people were there if thirteen hundred died? Thirty thousand. Holy shit. So, and because, too, that the government authorities failed to relay the news the next day to Nicholas, um, who doesn't immediately address the incident, so now the He's Russian people... He's seen as the bad guy, yeah. Right. Yeah. The Tsar doesn't give a shit. The Tsar doesn't give a shit. So now you have poor, hungry, uh, a restless population with talk of communism, uh, and, and these numbers are starting to grow. The people are concerned about the competence of Nicholas II. And... Adding to the Tsar's problem, we open the door for Rasputin. Which which uh, begins with him trying to produce an heir. He gives birth to these uh, four daughters. There's four that, in a row. Four in a row. We're, we have that portrait up of the family. You can see uh, Nicholas II there with his great mustache, and then uh, the queen who's on his shoulder, right? And then... It goes in order of a circle: the first, second, third, fourth, and then um, Alex, Alexi, Alexi, the uh, the, 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 the last born and the heir to the to the family to the, throne. To the family throne, right? So now here's the problem with Alexi, who and is in the first in like the first seven years, Rasputin wasn't even there. No, 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 no. Yeah. So, anyways, the problem with Alexi is Alexi's that who brings Rasputin in, into the picture, and not directly, but Alexandra does because Alexi is born uh, with uh, he's a hemophiliac. Uh, yeah, he bleeds too much. Right, right. Which is you know it's an, an, an inherent genetic disorder that impairs the body's ability to make blood clots, which you need to stop bleeding. So the the slightest injury could be fatal. So naturally, the royal family, they wanted to keep this a secret to the general public so that it wouldn't show another weakness in the royal family, uh, and, their ability to rule. And, and the uh, the royal family had, had several religious uh, councils, such as uh, Athamine Monsieur uh, Felipe, who told Alexander that after he died, a new spiritual guide would take his place. So there's suddenly this demand for this new person. So we're going to back up two years. In 1903, Rasputin wanders back, uh, into St. Petersburg, where um, he arrived with a reputation of a, a mystic and a faith healer. Uh, at the same time, uh, he is just... A uh, I mean, pervert. Who's nasty, hasn't shaved, hasn't bathed, smells really bad, probably doesn't brush his teeth, comes up to you and just grabs your titty. He's just like, yeah. But this is the crazy thing about him is that he had such a, a, a strange sexual charisma. People loved it. So two years later, he's introduced to the Russian Tsar because, as you said, that you know, Felipe, their spiritual guide, that, that he had passed away. And he predicted Anthony. that somebody yeah, that somebody was going to uh, take his place. And uh, Alexandra was, was really the one that was drawn to the mysticism. His, and, his wife. And yeah, out Nicholas's wife, and out of concern too uh, for their youngest son because Alexis, Alexei, because they did not have the medical advancements, so they really believed that that it, you would need uh, a holy intervention. Um, Alexis, 
It's his, it's his real it's name. It's his real name. Uh -huh. Alexi is what you would call him if you're his mother. That's kind of like, oh, Alexi, my boy. Right? right? And Alexia is kind of like, you're my boyfriend. But if you were a man talking to him in Russia, don't call anybody Alexia or, or Dimitri. A Dimitri? 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 You're, only your mom calls you Dimitri. You call that man Dimitri. That man is that man's name is Alexis. <laughs> All right, so he's Alexis. Yeah, not Alexi. Not Alexi. Yeah, yeah. But th that's a weird thing about Russian. So what does that mean in Russia? Did I just call him a, a pansy? You kind of, you kind of like were like, I'll, you were flirting with him a little bit. Ooh, that's 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 the weird thing about <laughs> Russian names. That's the weird thing about Russian names is that you, is that you can write Russian everybody's name. Right. So like Benji, right? Your name would be Benjamin, but you could be called Benji, and your girlfriend and your mom could call you that, or somebody who was your best friend. Right. Your dad wouldn't call you Benji, he would call you Benjamin, right? Or he would call you Ben. Oddly, he does. Right? That's the same thing in Russia. Okay. So, like, his name is Alexis. You don't call him Lexi, his name is Alexis. Right. And that's the same thing with, like, Dimitri or, like, uh, Romanov. Okay. So like, I don't know. I, I just read a lot of lot like a lot of Russian literature. I don't See, want you to go I didn't to even know that. I, I don't want you to I go to I subliminally Russia. was going full on bear mode on Alexei. Yeah, yeah. I don't want you to like go there and do So do pinky. I call him Alexei? Oh, so, Alexis. Or, or Alexis? Alexis. So if I call him Alexei, I got to buy him an apple martini, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Full names. Full names. I don't want you to go and get like your pinky cut off by like a mobster for insulting him right? and his family. Okay. Come home and explain to wife why I'm covered in glitter now. So. Right? No. It's terrible. Right? It was a great night at the bar, baby. That's all I'm going to say. Alexa. Alexis. 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 Ah, oh, goddamn it! Because Alexa is a girl's name. Alexis is a man's name. All right. So anyhow, elect uh, Alexandra. Alexandra's boy Alexis has him. Uh, he's a hemophiliac. Yeah. Yeah. He bleeds too much. And so she uh, reaches out to the church, and she's in, in in desperate need of a faith healer. And subsequently, hey, they're like, hey, we just got a brand new faith healer in town, Rasputin. And they introduce Rasputin to the family. Rasputin had done his his holy travels, and and has really uh, earned his title. As a, a holy man, a, a, a mystic, a, 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 he had um, became famous for having strange supernatural healing abilities, mm -hmm. uh, visions. He was able to see into the future and make predictions, which kind of really just creeped everybody the fuck out, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but this was the age of mysticism in itself. So now you have poor, hungry. A restless population would talk of communism, uh, and, and these numbers are starting to grow. The people are concerned about the competence of Nicholas II. Um, as as Russia entered World War One, Rasputin predicted that the calamity would befall the country. Nicholas II took command of the Russian army in 1915, and, and Alexandria took responsibility. His wife for domestic policies. So right. She was in charge of Russia at that point. Right. And Rasputin is this is taking care of her son. 
He is keeping... But at this point, too, he kind of expands his... He's taking care of all of them now that, that Nicholas right. is gone. Right. That no, Nicholas is second of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he's off the war. There's questions of his role. Uh, a lot of the people, like, like who you were saying, uh, the media was trying to spin it that he did have undue influence in helping mm-hmm. uh, people get appointed to positions that they weren't qualified for. Right. Um, and there, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of speculation right there. But the one thing that is known that he is a constant in the family. And for the general person in Russia at the time, that didn't look good. That, right. that he is he is running around town in St. Petersburg. He's not only fucking the peasants, he's fucking nobility and mm-hmm. he's living with the royal family. So it's it's you know, it, it it doesn't take far to wander down the trail that maybe he's fucking Nicholas the Second's wife. Right. Uh, the the crazy thing about this whole this whole despite all complaints, despite the whole <laughs> outrage in the public, right? The uh, Russian Orthodox Church supports them. And yeah. Rasputin makes it north to St. Nicholas uh, Monastery in Malhula, uh, Berluas, and he meets a mystic named Macre, who uh, becomes a big influence in his life, apparently. Uh, Rasputin is memorized by this guy and comes home momentarily a changed man, but a few months later, he's back at it. And, and if you really take a moment just to even look up Rasputin, Look up this guy's face. People would fall into spells under underneath his charismatic persona and would routinely be seduced by his aggressive grabs. That's because of his eyes. His right. crazy eyes. He was still able to win over the father of the supreme father supreme of the Seven Lakes Monastery. Sounds like a big dude, right? Father Supreme. Imagine just going around and you're like Father Supreme. I'm just dad. Yeah, so yeah, you're just dad. I would love to be Father Supreme. Would that be, dude? Oh man, I, I couldn't wear a cloak. Right? I, I'd have to wear some tight pants. There's only one. And a cup. There's only one station above Father Supreme. What's that? The dude. The dude. The big Lebowski. The dude. Okay. <laughs> so he's he's getting big with all these uh, big churches, and then Saint Peterburg's Theological Seminary. Uh, supports him. He gets a recommendation letter from him. He was like, and it is what what one. It the, was like Madonna, man. Right, right. Uh, the the royal family needed this person, person, and he just happened to be the right place at the right time. You know, it amazes me that. All right, so how much of this is it that he is this faith healer, or that he? Is uh, he becomes an artist in hypnosis, which at that time they had no idea of, and the whole thing with it. Correct me again. Is it Alexis? Uh, the boy. Yeah, Alexis. Yeah. That is he actually healing him, or is he Just hypnotizing him out mean? of these conditions? Yeah. A part of me says, "What if, what if Rasputin was a better, well-educated man, right? And he took the things he learned from Greece and from Istanbul as a medical doctor, 
and applied them to his theology? What if he wasn't crazy? What if he actually was practicing medicine on the what boy? What if he was smarter than the average bear? Smarter than the average bear. And what if he was actually practicing medicine on the boy that other people didn't really know because they were from Russia? So, so Rasputin, it's 1905, right? And he's introduced to the royal family. And in 1908, he is summoned to the palace of Nicholas and Alexandra during one of uh, Alexei's uh, hemophiliatic his, his, episodes. Right. And he's able, he's able to ease the boy's suffering. And upon leaving the palace, uh, Rasputin warns the parents that he is irrevocably linked to the boy's destiny. Which I, which I say is a, is a lot of that. He is smarter than the average bear. He knows that he is he. Needs this to is be his meal ticket, right? Uh, their boy setting in a motion a decade of Rasputin's powerful influence on the imperial family and the affairs of the state. I think that he captures mom first. Oh, of course, and, yes, that's and, what he does. And and um, you know. Um, kind of sweet talks her into his holy power. She's already a believer, so mm -hmm. you know, he just he just stokes that fire a little bit. I think he does the full hypnosis on uh Alexi. And of course dad is just like, alright, whatever the fuck's working, that's all I care about. And two, uh, you know, he's a strange motherfucker. I mean it it is uh the uh, absurd that we don't have in our daily existence that we're drawn to that's why we fucking love reality tv so by 1911 rasputin's behavior uh is just become scandalous so the new prime minister pa stolopin sent the czar report on rasputin's misdeeds as a result the czar had to expel rasputin but alexandra had him return within a matter of months so uh, Alexei had a slight boating accident, mm -hmm. which had it had left him horribly bruised. Now, with you and I, we bruise, and then like a week later, it's gone. But his body doesn't have the ability because what the what the bruising is 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 a blood buildup inside the body, and, right? And because he's a hemophiliac, his body cannot stop that, and so you're going to have swelling, you're going to have internal bleeding. After about 12 days of, of ineffective treatment, um, uh, the boy is given his last rites. A death announcement is made. we we got to start planning a funeral. That's basically what's happening. Uh, then his mom, uh, Alexandra, reaches out to Rasputin. The only option that she feels that she has left, she sends him a frantic telegram pleading for his help. And with hours, uh, Rasputin sends a cable back to her telling her, God has heard your fears. Do not grieve, the little one will not die. And somehow, Alexei doesn't die. So, uh, is it a medical miracle? Or is it maybe that the 12 days of treatment is finally taking its course? Uh, one of the other things that came to light in this situation, so that is... That, that's not the only thing that he had told her because because even before this he made a suggestion to her mm -hmm. that uh, in in this time of, of uh, medicine uh, aspirin was a big thing yeah Rasputin told her do not give him aspirin mm -hmm. well aspirin would actually work against a hemophiliac's 
yeah, yeah. ability to yeah. clot blood. So, um, is it is it mystical or is it like you said, his medical training mixed with his his? I don't want to say it's biblical because he's he's been he's been trained in so many different religions. Right. Yeah. So and and at this point, so now. Uh, Rasputin has reached the pinnacle of his power at the Russian court, and this is 1915. Um, we're, we're right here uh, in the middle of World War One, September of 1915. Nicholas II takes personal command of the forces. Uh, he goes to the front line. World War One actually ended up being a, a pretty good thing for Nicholas. Right. Uh, it did. It did gain him back some popularity power there was there was some levels of success um the the russian people were happy that russia was now you know reasserting itself as a, a military uh, dominant nation um the simple matter was is that russia was behind the times in technology in the war against Germany. The leverage that they had was sheer manpower. Germany had uh, superior technology, superior military tactics. So by the end of the war, Russia would lose nearly two million soldiers. Another two and a half million would be taken captive or go missing. Another five million would be wounded. And back in St. Petersburg, uh, you know, Rasputin's influence ranged, as they were saying, from appointments of, of church officials to selected cabinet ministers, um, and uh, occasionally he would he would intervene into military matters uh, to Russia's detriment. How much of that is truth? How much of that is print propaganda by the Bolsheviks uh, to uh, dissuade loyalty from the the. Russian royalty and the only form of government that that the people have known their entire life it's all up to speculation so back to Rasputin there's 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 a, a ton of discontent about his involvement uh, with the the royal family um, his reputation around town uh, it, it, it's just he is out of control uh, there are several attempts that were taken upon his life um, and 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 it wasn't that that we need to get rid of this dirtbag. It was that you know everybody felt that we need to save Russia from further calamity. And this is the devil incarnate. If we right. kill him, then you know God will show favor upon us again. So during this time, many sought to remove Rasputin from the family's presence. They called him a witch doctor. They thought he was using black magic to poison Alexandria's mind. Rasputin's first assassination attempt occurred in 1914 when a prostitute, Kayana Yana Grasova, stabbed him in the gut with a dagger in what was thought to be a mortal wound. Eyewitnesses claim that as Rasputin's entrails fell from his stomach, Grasova shouted, I've killed the Antichrist. So he survives the attack, although his demeanor... Uh, was permanently changed by this. So right. During this time, Rasputin wrote a uh, prophetic death letter warning Russia of the consequences of his death and the fall of the Romanov dynasty. In some tellings of Rasputin's life, it is claimed that this letter is a, 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 pru, a, a, a true a psychic or spiritual vision in the kind of, of 
casual history pages that are you know commonly come up on Google search. Right. When when you try to enter this in uh, the mentionings and the authentications of the prediction of Rasputin, uh, what what is uh, posted and, and and is it the actual quote of his letter reads as such. I feel I shall leave life before January 1st. I wish to make known to the Russian people, to Papa, Tsar Nicholas, and to the Russian mother, Tasrina Alexandria, and to the children, if it was your relations who have wrought my death, then none of your children will remain alive for more than two years. And if they do, they will be begging for their death as they will see the defeat of Russia. See the Antichrist coming, plague, poverty, destroyed churches, and desecrated sanctuaries where everyone is dead. The Russian Tsar, you will be killed by the Russian people. When was this? This was 1914. So you would think that, all right, uh, I've got, a, I've got a, a couple assassinations attempted upon my life that, um, all right, if it was maybe I should rethink my game. Nah, fuck it. Stalin did it. <laughs> <laughs> Stalin's fine. He's dead, but whatever. Yeah, but no, Rasputin's behavior, it just gets darker from this point. So with Nicholas gone, fighting the war, and really no one to keep Rasputin into check, one night while dining at a restaurant, he pulls his dick out and starts taunting the patrons. He walks around waving it, in front of the other diners while handing out cars saying love is uh, saying love freely insisting that no one should be shocked or offended that he does this all the time with the royals and they don't care you know at, at this time nobility is headed up with him and the Romanov family so rumors they're spreading around St. Petersburg that Nicholas has brought the devil into the Russian royal court and uh, he is blamed for all the Russians trouble um, Citizens, they're losing more and more faith in the decision-making uh, abilities of Alexandra. Uh, and panic starts to set in in St. Petersburg as people are starting to see um, food shortages. There's, there's no bread, there's no wood, there's no other forms of fuel for heat for the winter. Uh, to add to the anxiety, there's the distraction of the war as Germans are slaughtering Russian sons, fathers, Husbands, it's it is it's a very dire time. So, finally, having enough of of the royal family and of Rasputin, we have three individuals of royal descent that decide they're going to assassinate Rasputin. So, let's try to get these names right. Okay. Okay. You've been nailing it. I'm going to let you try. Felkis Yosopov, the husband of Sarah's niece. Felix. It's oh, oh, you're right. Felix, actually. Yeah. Vladimir Metrofanovich and uh, Vanovich. Persikevich, a member of the Duma, and then Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich. 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 So we are going to call these three uh, Prince Felix, 
Vladimir and the Grand Duke, just to simplify. Dimitri. Grand Duke Dimitri. Grand Duke Dimitri, just to simplify yeah. our pronunciations. So, uh, and uh, the relationships are that Felix is the husband of Alexander II's niece. niece. Uh, we've got Vladimir, who is a member of uh, the Duma, which is the newly elected kind of Congress, kind of legislation yeah. that they have. And then we got Grand Duke Dimitri, who is a cousin of Nicholas II. So they uh, uh, put together a plan to eliminate Rasputin in order to save the monarchy from any further scandal. So on a cold December uh, winter's night, December 16th, is the night that, that most all accounts put this evening as they invited Rasputin to visit the house, enticing him with the promise of a chance to meet Prince Felix's beautiful wife, Princess, Princess Irina Alexandrov Alexandrovina. Yeah. 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 Uh, who is a beauty? She mm -hmm. is she is a beauty. So uh, and at this time um, in uh, you know the aristocratic circles of St. Petersburg it's widely known that, that Felix and um, Arena, their marriage is more of a business opportunity. Yeah. yeah, but Rasputin knows this. And so Felix promises, hey, if you come on over to the house, we're going to have some wine. We're going to have some sweet treats because we know you have a sweet tooth. And you get to bang my sweet smoking hot wife. And so, you know. Freaking Rasputin's all about that. Yeah, dude. Why right? not? Okay. So, uh, so he comes on over. You know, they have the wine. They have the sweet treats. There's, there's talk. They're entertaining him. Now, the whole thing is that Prince Felix is downstairs with uh, Rasputin, keeping him company. And so we got Vladimir and the Grand Duke Dimitri. They are preparing the wine and the sweet treats. But right. what they are preparing them with, they are loading this fucking thing down with a cocktail of cyanide. Oh, ho, ho. right, right. So they bring in the treats for him. Rasputin eats 10 cookies, five cakes, uh, and consumes a, a couple glasses of wine, enough cyanide to kill five men, and nothing happens. So we got these three nobles. You got to know that they are freaking out right now. There's enough cyanide in here to kill five men. Why is he still running around? And so now that mysticism starts kind of settling into the back of their brains that maybe maybe Rasputin is protected by the devil's dark magic, you know, or maybe he is the Antichrist incarnate. And and this whole time Rasputin, he's he's growing impatient because you know he's waiting. We need to bring this party on. This shit needs to happen. And, and he's throwing down little Debbies that have a slight taste of almond to them. Because <laughs> I heard that's what cyanide tastes like. It does taste like almond. <laughs> that was very clever. That's why I looked at the screen. <laughs> I was like, wow. So uh, either way about it, Prince Felix, uh, he is, he, he, he's freaking out. Right. Uh, he's worried that if, if this is the devil, he is soon going to be on to our game plan. Right. Uh, he runs upstairs, he retrieves a gun, he goes back down into the basement, and according to written, written records, finds Rasputin downstairs admiring an ornate crucifix. Hmm. 
believing that Rasputin is devil-possessed, Prince Felix grabs the crucifix, thinking that it will protect him, and shoots Rasputin, who falls to the floor. Prince Felix then runs upstairs, shouting that he has killed the monster, and the three of them start to celebrate that they have saved Mother Russia. So after a couple rounds of drinks, Prince Felix returns to the basement to check on the body, and as he leans over the body, legend has it that Rasputin opens his eyes and whispers, boy, and then strangles the prince. <laughs> Talking about shit your pants moment. What did he miss? And Rasputin just fell so he wouldn't get shot again. And then waited for, waited for him to come back. Faked it, just played possum. Well, how accurate are pistols? In the 18th century. They still work. Prince Felix, he is freaking out. He's able to break away from Rasputin. He runs back upstairs into a bathroom, vomits, passes out. Because that's what princes do. Dude, locks himself in there probably. Right? Um, you gotta know that these three grown-ass Russian Two grown-ass men now. One is asleep. One, yeah, one, one took a dirt It's yeah. freaking out. Um, they are thinking that they have poked the devil. Devil, himself. he's going to fuck right. their assholes right. so bad. He, well, the, all right, so uh, <laughs> Prince Felix, uh, he comes to, he calms down. After a short time, he gets the courage to go back downstairs to finish Rasputin off. But he finds that he's gone. Rasputin has managed to escape out of the house into the courtyard. And at this point... So now, uh, because he ran upstairs, he threw up, passed out. Well, somewhere in that timeline, he, he dropped the gun or threw the gun or what have you. So the Duke, Duke Dimitri has the pistol. Uh, Felix, Prince Felix, grabs uh, a, a rubber uh, tuntrion, which is like a billy club. Right. Right? And so the three nobles, they chase down Rasputin, catching him in the courtyard. In a panic, the Grand Duke shoots twice missing both times he then bites himself on the wrist to help him concentrate what is that old school i uh, just go keep going <laughs> keep going fires once again hitting rasputin in the back fires then again hitting rasputin in the head which he falls at this point holding his head prince felix just jumps on him and starts just beating the living shit out of him. Finally, they, they drag the body back to the house. Uh, and once they get him in the house, they find that he's still alive. He's sitting there fucking wheezing, uh, curdling in his breath. Uh, one of his eyes is just swollen shut. So they panic, and they do a quick search of the house. They find rope and cloth. And, and and they start tying him up. Um, <laughs> they throw him uh, in the back of the car. They take him down to the Niva River, uh -huh. and uh, they have to they have to break open the ice, create a hole to dump the body in, and wait for the ice to freeze back over, so they know that he won't fight his way back out. God. When the body was retrieved two days later from the river with a shot in the back, a shot in the head, um, no, two shots in the back, because okay. he was shot in the basement, being beat the fuck out of twice, it appeared as if Rasputin had tried to claw his way out of the ice. He had managed to free one of his hands from the binding and 
autopsy findings found that he had water in his lungs, meaning that he had drowned. And true to his eerie prediction that the Romanov family would die within two years, it happened exactly how he said. On March 15, 1917, he abdicated the throne. He and his family were taken to the Ural Mountains and placed under house arrest. At about 1 a.m. on July 17, 1918, the Romanovs, which was the ex-Tsar Nicholas II, ex-Tsarina, his wife Alexandra, their five children, and the four remaining servants, including their loyal family doctor, Eugene Bolton, were awoken by their Bolsheviks' captors and told they must dress and gather their belongings for a swift departure. The white armies, which supported the Tsar, were approaching. In fact, the prisoners could hear booms of big guns nearby. They gathered in the cellar of the mansion, standing together, almost as if they were posing for a family portrait. Alexandra, who was sick, asked for a chair, and Nicholas also asked for another one for his only son, 13-year-old Alexis. The two were brought down. The family, they waited there until suddenly 11 or 12 heavily armed men filed ominously into the room. What happened next? The slaughter of the family and the servants was one of the seminal events of the 20th century, a wanton massacre that shocked the world and still inspires our morbid fascination today. A 300-year-old imperial dynasty swiftly brought to an end. Each of the soldiers that, that walked down to that basement was meant to fire at a different family member, but many of them secretly did not want to shoot the children. So they aimed instead at the parents because there was already a loathing for the royalty, killing them almost instantly. The firing was wild. The killers managed to wound one another as the room was filled with swirling dust, smoke, screams, ricochets. When the first volley was done, most of the family was still alive, wounded, crying, terrified. Their suffering made worse by the fact that they were ineffectively wearing bulletproof vests. Oddly Whoa. enough, the Romanovs were famed for their collection of jewelry. They had left Putograd with a large cache of diamonds hidden in their luggage. During the last months, they had sewn the diamonds into specially made underwear in case they needed to find uh, uh, and fund an escape. On the night of the execution, the children had pulled on these secretly bejeweled underwear, which had reinforced materials to help hold all the jewels uh, to the clothing. Tragically, ironically, the bullets bounced off of these garments. Finally, the murderers, they had to wade into the gruesome scene of the wounded, bleeding children. One of the soldiers admitted that the basement, the cellar, seemed like a slippery ice rink awashed with blood and brains. And there they had to stab them manically with bayonets and then shoot them each in the head. The mayhem lasted an agonizing 20 minutes. When the bodies 
were being carried out, two of the girls turned out to still be alive, sputtering and coughing before being silenced by another stab with a bayonet. And this was the birth of the origin of the legend of Anastasia, the youngest daughter, about how she had survived and the stories of so many imposters impersonating her, the murdered Grand Duchess. And that wraps up. Dark conclusion. Very dark conclusion. The Mad Monk, our story of Rasputin on the Oogie Boogie podcast. Wow. So, uh, with that, guys, if you have enjoyed the podcast, that is awesome. Please jump over to iTunes, give us a like, give us a follow, share the podcast with your friends that, that you would uh, make sure they're close friends. You know, this, this isn't for everybody. You don't want to you don't want to send mom the link because this is it's, it's sometimes it gets dark, most times it gets foul, sometimes the humor is in a really dark place. But all the same, we made it. Uh, yeah, so jump over, give us a like. It really helps uh, give the podcast more exposure, expanding our audience. We also have a Patreon page. If you want to see us do this live, jump on over to Twitch at the FKC Show. Other social media outlets that you can find out more about us. What we're doing, find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Benji Wright. So with that being said, Joshua, myself, do appreciate you guys following the FKC Show and the Oogie Boogie Podcast. Till next time, keep it safe, my boogies.